During lockdown, I've been recording a series of conversations with a range of people discussing their journeys and life in 2020. The discussions have formed my new podcast series, Pearl Conversations. Joining me for the first episode is England Lions and Bristol Bears rugby player, Kyle Sinclair. We'll be talking lockdown, our come-ups in the game, the 2019 World Cup, and life on and off the pitch. My brother, Carl Sinclair, thank you so much for joining <laughs> us. How are you? What's up, what's up? I'm good, man. I'm good. How are you? I'm blessed, bro. How's lockdown been treating you? Um, yes, it's been, um, it's been different. Um, I think, especially for us as athletes, we're always, we're always used to being told, you know, what time you need to be somewhere, your schedule's kind of watertight, you know, where you've got to be, exactly what time and how long. So now when we've had this freedom, it's uh, taken a bit of time to get adjusted, but I've actually really, really liked it. Um, it's given you time to kind of reflect, um, contemplate and and plan kind of your next moves and, and, you know, address your weaknesses and your strengths and just keep moving forward. And that's what I've tried to do, bro, man. Well, you have a lot of strengths, you have a few weaknesses. <laughs> that's good. I like to hear that. Um, so... To kick things off, what we're going to do is have a few one-word responses to a few different <laughs> individuals in this world. <laughs> see how you respond to these guys. You're quiet, you know. I know you love your American sports, so I threw a few American athletes in there. So Lovely. probably start with the GOAT, Michael Jordan. Yeah, the GOAT, like you said, the GOAT. That's that. I think that's all you can really say. The greatest, the greatest ever. Uh, Ellis Genge. Sausages. <laughs> <laughs> Anthony Watson. He's got. A, I'm gonna say fade because he's shaved his hair off. I don't know if you've know, seen it. He's shaved his it, hair. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So he's got a fade now. So fade. Uh, Antonio Brown. <sighs> waste. Waste <laughs> of talent. What a waste. You know, he could have been arguably one of the best wide receivers of all time or in the kind of conversation and his ego's kind of got the better of him and you know a lot of people and a lot of kids would look up to him and some of the things he does is uh is very questionable so it's a, it's a big waste of uh, opportunity and talent for me Stephen A. Smith <laughs> <laughs> I love Stephen A. Um, Stephen A. Smith I would say real, like he, he, anytime he speaks, he, he always gives his honest opinion and honest answers, no matter how, um, how close he is to that sort of, you know, the individual he's talking about, he always gives his honest answer and that's something I always appreciate and he kind of wears his heart on his sleeve and uh, gets quite emotional at times, which is obviously <laughs> good for entertainment. I'm a big fan of him too. I'm a big fan of him myself. So what I want to talk to you, um, I want to talk to you a little bit about like taking control of your career. Yeah. Uh, I think as, as a professional sportsman, as an athlete, um, it's very easy sometimes to like sway with the wind of, yeah. of your career and kind of go or just do what people expect you to do. There's a yeah. whole lot of pressures um, that are on individuals, whether it's agents, whether it's media, whether it's the club that you're at or the club that you know are trying to sign you. So, 
what's your philosophy around like taking control of your career? For me, I think it all starts with I I can only I can only talk about from my personal experience and for me number one it starts with you've got to know yourself inside and out you know you've got to know all your strengths and all your weaknesses and and kind of what makes you tick and what you like especially from kind of like a training perspective um a coaching perspective how is a coach going to get the best out of you and then once you've figured kind of that out then i think you can start to take control if you see what i'm saying like you can't take control of your career in ever whatever chosen you know chosen sport or um, business it is if you don't you know one know yourself as a person and two what makes yourself tick um so for me that that probably took quite a long process um my my like specific journey like individual journey was it was a bit different because like kind of like yourself we didn't come from like a normal rugby playing background and then I got a scholarship to go to Epsom College which was unbelievable um you know, just the facilities and yeah. and everything there. And just, I went from having kind of like 28 to 30 people in a class to now having four. And I was like, whoa, I can actually do some learning here. I and saw, um, um, saw some tight-fitted shirts, some tight-fitted <laughs> yeah, rugby yeah. jerseys of you and Yeah, Epson. exactly, exactly. It was, good, it was good fun though, you know. I had all the facilities there. They had a great gym, you know, Olympic-sized swimming pool, eight to ten rugby pitches, literally right outside the, the house that I was bored in. So... It, it was crazy and then going from that to you know at the time you think you've kind of made it when you sign your first professional contract and look reflecting on that for me um I, I definitely wasted a few years um which I I look back on now and I, I didn't I don't regret it now because it, it, I appreciate you know what I do for myself and my body now and I only I could only appreciate it by going kind of the wrong way if you see what I'm saying um yeah. And you know it's like when you're young, you 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 you've got kind of no responsibility. Um, you go from earning nothing to to something. It's not a great wage, but when you've got no responsibilities and no bills to pay, you can spend you know whatever whatever your academy wage is pretty pretty easy and pretty quickly on whatever you want. Um, so it was it was some fun time for me personally. I'd say from 18 to 21, and then I kind of. I was looking around and I was, I was, you know, watching the England team and I always had that burning desire to play for, the, to play for England and, and start for Harlequins. And I, I was always looking externally, you know, you, you know what it's like, Mario, you go in the club and you see a lot of guys and they say, oh, the coach don't like me or, you know, the captain, he doesn't like me or just, it's just something, you know, something external where, where, where it's not, they're not looking internal and looking at themselves. Um, and that's what I was doing for a number of years and then something kind of switched and I think I was watching um, the 2015 World Cup. Um, we were in a in a um, bar for a social with Harlequins, and I was sat with Adam Jones. And I'll never forget this moment, even though you know we had a few beers and stuff. And we're watching the England v Wales game, and obviously England lost, which was you know even though I, my, I had my burning desire was to play for England, I, I'm still at, you know deep down I'm always going to be a, an England rugby fan even if I'm playing or not. I always want said basically to me I was sitting next to him watching the game he was like mate you want to play for England but you kind of need to in his own kind of unique way like butt your ideas up um, and I was just like okay one like one of the greatest props to ever play in this position arguably the greatest ever Welsh tight prop has just identified me and said that I can definitely play at the international level and be like one of the world's best but 
two, obviously he's recognised something that I need to, I need to, you know, buck up my ideas and start to get serious. Um, mm-hmm. And then from that moment on, it was just, I just kind of gravitated towards him and, and the likes of Joe Marler. Um, was there, who, was there a change in your professionalism thereafter? Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent, hundred percent. It was done a whole, whole 180 or 360 or whatever you want to call it. Because, it was kind of a, you know, I've been fortunate enough to spend a lot of time with you. Um, <laughs> and one thing I would definitely say about you is that you don't play around with your business. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. When it comes to 100%. when it comes to body prep, um yeah, when it comes to you, like warming up, making sure that you're good to go. Yeah. I, some will even say you would do too much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly, exactly. Um and and I think that kind of pushed me in the right direction, and then I started to gravitate more towards him and Joe Marla, um, and 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 kind of replicate what they did in the gym and what they were doing training. And I just kind of sat back and put put kind of my ego to one side, and I was like, hold on a minute, I've got zero caps. You know, Adam Jones has got ninety, I think he's got ninety six or ninety five caps to Wells and six lines tests. So he or no five lines tests, sorry. Amala, obviously a lion, played in over 50 games for England. So if it's good enough for them, then it's definitely good enough for me, you know? So I just literally probably became a bit of a nuisance for, for those guys looking back on it because I would just be like, whatever you, they were doing, I'm just doing, you know? And uh, um, I think it comes around, you know, the people you surround yourself with. If you surround yourself with jokers, you're going to become a joker. And that's what I was doing. I was hanging out probably with the wrong kind of crowd of people who love the idea of being a rugby player the illusion you know like of being a rugby player but actually they didn't want to be a rugby player in terms of what you actually have to do in terms of your training your prep your nutrition the mental side of the game they just love coming in lifting some weights training and didn't really you know worry about playing on the weekend they were more about going to the club um but then once I started you know mixing with the, the top professionals around the club at Harlequins which I was lucky at the time we had you know an abundance of of top, top international players. It's just kind of slowly, you know, you kind of create your own luck. And um, how, how, how do you think, how do you think going into like the England environment changed, changed <laughs> perception? Crazy, crazy, bro. So like, I, often, I, often, I, often, I often think like, like looking back on my own experience, like you go, you're playing, you, you become a first team regular, first team starter. Um, yeah at your club and you get used to a certain level, then you get catapulted into the England senior environment where yeah. the level completely changed. The pressure is absolutely crazy. And um, yeah. then again, you find yourself, all right, this is, I'm, I'm here now, but there's a new bar that I need to reach. Yeah. It, it was, it was, it was real, real eye opening for me. And I think you made your debut that six nations, I wasn't even starting for Harlequins that, at that moment in time. I was always on the bench. They would rotate, you know, Adam Jones and Collier, and I was kind of like that impact sub or finisher or, you know, whatever you want to call it. Um, and kind of Eddie just took a punt on me. And I, I, I remember we had, you guys were in the finals, and it was kind of like the guys who weren't in the top four meet for a camp um, in Brighton. And he sat me down and he was just like, look, you've got kind of three, four days to, to prove to me that you want to be here. Um, so let's see how you get on, you know, you're, you, and I was just like, okay, cool. Um, and that first training session was like, 
I've never experienced anything like it. Like it was, I thought I was training hard and I was professional. And then you go into that environment and you see how much more you could do um, in terms of your strength and conditioning, your stretching, your recovery, your, your training, your pre-training, your post-training, um, what you're eating, how much you're sleeping. <laughs> Literally, I was just so off the ball. And I think the best thing on reflection now, looking back on it, was that I never played in that summer tour. I never played. So I didn't play in the Australia tour. And I was so, at the time, so, so hurt that I didn't get to play in that third test because um, I thought Eddie, you know, they would have changed the team around. You know, we'd won the series and obviously you just kept the same team. You don't, you don't change a winning formula. Um, and I was so devastated and so hurt. So as soon as I got off that plane, I said, look, you know, we get five weeks off. I said, I'm only having two weeks. I'm only having two weeks. Um, had the two weeks off, uh, spoke to the nutritionist uh, at Harlequins at the time, David Dunn, who's a great, great uh, nutritionist, uh, works all over, works with golf, works with NBA, NFL, cycling, whatever sport it is, he's, he's, he's involved in it. One of the best, um, one of the best I've worked with. And I said, look, I need to be on top of my nutrition, recovery, et cetera. Um, and he just started putting plans in place. I came back in only after two weeks, changed my diet, started to um, take real ownership of my career. And that's one thing you understand when you get in that environment. It's like you, you've got to take control and be very like self reliant on, 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 you know, like you're not waiting around for a coach to tell you what to do. You should know what, what you need to do. And um, I just kind of took that into my off season and just done everything literally from, I think that was a turning point for me. It was like every moment of the day, what can I do to kind of get better? And is it, is it helping me in my rugby career? And it was like from anything from like how many hours I'm sleeping. I used to be one of those guys who'd be like, sleep's a myth, bro. Yeah. I can, you know, run off two no, or three I've rooted with you before. I've rooted with you before. I know, how, I know how, how you used to sleep. Yeah. I used to I used to room with you. I used to room with you and like it'll be like midnight and you're watching flipping first take yeah, and Stephen yeah. Smith. <laughs> oh blah blah blah. <laughs> but I think I think it's interesting because you know there's there's uh, for me there's two sides of the coin. There's like taking control of your career in terms of how professional you are, how you turn up to training, how you play, how you perform, how you react. Um, in the training ground, your nutrition, which is probably, you know, that's probably the most important part because um, then that gives you all the opportunities that comes comes from it. But the second yeah. part of it is taking taking control of your of your career and, and, and like the business side of it. Yeah, of course. There's 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 several you know as a professional player you know there's several opportunities that you can exploit, um, whether it's like commercial, whether it's uh, finding a new club, whether it's um, it could be completely different business relationships, you know. Yeah, exactly. Um, so what's your what's your philosophy on making the most of of that side of things as well? Um, it's, it. it I think it comes down again to who you surround yourself with. So early part of my career, I've probably surrounded myself around people who, you know, lived for the weekend. So they weren't really, there was no emphasis on saving your money and, um, you know, thinking long-term. Um, so, you know, first two years, I, I, I kind of didn't save as much money as I should, but I wasn't on much money. Um, and then when you start, you know, surrounding yourself with 
with more kind of professional people, like-minded people who, who understand that rugby and sport in general is a very short career, very short shelf life. And for me, my initial thing I wanted to do was always bricks and mortar. Um, I was raised, um, you know, by my mother and, and one of the first things she said, as soon as you get any money, always put it in bricks and mortar. You know, never, you'd never go wrong. So I started up my own kind of property company, um, bought my first house. I think I was like 22 or 21, I can't remember. Um, and then try to, you know, as, as time's gone on, just building up that kind of portfolio. And then kind of as, as times change, you always hear the term, you know, diversifying your income, looking at stocks and shares. Um, and, you know, I, I've, I've dabbled in that also just so, you know, all your eggs aren't in one basket. How, how do you, who, who do you look for for advice and certain things? Because there's also like, there's a lot yeah. of sharks out there as well. There's yeah, also, of course, of course. A lot yeah. of people who want to help you, but there are also a lot of people who like will be more than happy to take advantage. So how do you like navigate those waters? I think the main thing is, for me, you've always got to back your intuition. And you've all, one thing that this lockdown has taught me is, all, is about upskilling yourself. So yeah. I, I know rugby, you, me and you know rugby, you know, you would say probably inside and out. We know, you know, boom, what we need to do from a Monday to a Friday to get our bodies ready to go and play at the highest level. But, you know, rugby's only a small part, as we're seeing now, a part, a part of life. So you have to upskill yourself on the business side of things. So if someone does come to you with an investment, you don't, you, you don't just take that person's word for it. You say, okay, you understand what they're talking about in terms of, you know, shares and compound interest, um, what the stock market's doing, um, who's actually invested, have they invested as well? You know, if someone's come to me with an investment, I want to know how much have you put in, bro? You know, like, I, 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 I'm not going in just by myself. If we've got the <laughs> equal share and you've put in something and you want me to, you're coming to me because you want to see me, you know, do well, then, then it's a different story. But it, I'm always very wary um, if someone's coming to you with an investment opportunity and they haven't even put any of their own money in. So how, if you haven't put your own money in, how, how are you expecting me to put my money in? You know, and I think... Yeah, this, this is why I like you. You're a man that's serious about business. <laughs> yeah. and, and, then, and then it's just like, you just have to upskill yourself. So that's something that I'm, I'm not really, you know, well, well versed on in terms of, you know, stocks and shares and that kind of stuff in terms of the market. But I, you just need to know that, you know, the ins and outs and just, just just the, the little details about it so you can have a, have a conversation with whoever and this time that I have had in terms of you know lockdown and stuff it, it, you then kind of I, I was doing a bit of reading and, and, and looking at business but my philosophy now is like if you don't kind of own something and you're not your own boss then I don't I, 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 that's the aim for me you want to be your own boss you want to be you don't want to have have no one to kind of answer to in terms of a business sense. And, and that's what I'm trying to, you know, currently build is build something that is different, something that is unique and something that helps the people where I'm from, but also a business. You know, Jay-Z says a great quote, the best way to help broke people is not being broke. So, like, you can't just, you just can't give, give, give. You have to show people the way to do it. You know, you have to lead by um, a good example. You have to, show them okay if you want to set up your own business this is the steps you go by and this is what you have to surround yourself with certain people you know you you mentioned that um obviously rugby is a short short game and it's a short 
is a relatively short shelf life. So are these yeah. some of the steps that you're taking to like plan for life after rugby? Yeah, hundred percent. So I'm I'm in the um I'm in the process of setting up my own foundation, um, which will help kind of inner city kids in London, um, mainly through rugby because obviously I'm a rugby player and that's kind of all I all I know in you know, in a sporting level. So what we're what we're planning to do is hold a rugby camp next year, probably August time, um, obviously depending on how, you know, sport looks, obviously you can't yeah. put a definite date on it. We'll get the best state school kids who can play, you know, rugby wise, the best kind of raw talented kids. We'll train them like world class coaching. Um we'll train them up for three to four weeks. Um giving them the best coaching, the best advice, the best kind of education that I feel those kids need, um, not necessarily um, what they're learning at school, but things I think they would need in later life. And then after those three to four weeks, we will play um, a, pri- a local private school um, and invite all the private school teachers around that area. Well, basically London, we'll invite all the private schools from London to come and have a watch. And those kids will be eligible for scholarships for sixth form. Um, and it's like and all of that will be you know documented through media content and and you know what I like in terms of my sports documentaries it will be in that kind of that same flow and 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 how I want it to look and the feeling I have after I watch that sort of stuff and I want to make kind of my own content which is not obviously your typical rugby um, content but something different but one thing that I've had on my reflection time is when you want to bring you know these kids into the sport like rugby which will change their life you have to appeal to them you know <laughs> so if they like a certain um, music you have to give them that music you have to give them you know certain things that aren't traditional rugby things make, because, make it make it feel relevant to them yeah exactly and then once they start because all you want to do is just you know lure them into playing the game and then once once they start playing it they'll enjoy it and then they'll love it but you actually have to take the steps to to you know bring in that, that those kids into into rugby because you know probably 80 85 percent of those kids in london don't really know what rugby is and that's a shame because they say, for me it's an untapped reservoir so yeah. if you can get those kids you know bring them into rugby show them something positive show them what is actually you know it's probably the last kind of gladiator sport left if we're being real marrow yeah. like we don't wear pads we don't wear helmets that sort of thing it's, it's hard work there's a lot of ball in play you're knackered you know and it's, it's like it's a great sport and, and it teaches you great things. So why not get these kids who do have some issues and, and, and get them into rugby and also give an opportunity to change their life? You know, imagine if a kid earns a scholarship and gets an opportunity that we did to go to private school, that would be crazy. Or yeah. what's even more, what, what I'm kind of more even focusing on is if someone doesn't, you know, pick up a knife or join a gang or, and becomes a positive member of society just from that experience of playing rugby, then happy days, you know? So yeah. that's what I'm trying to work on and, and, and doing something that I'm passionate about and can help people and also, you know, earn money so it's kind of self-sufficient and runs itself. And, and yeah, that's what I've just kind of been working on in the, however long we've been in lockdown. That's strong, bro. That's strong. That's, that's hard stuff. Um, we'll speak it into existence. Exactly, I'll be, man. I'll be there if you need me, bro. Yeah, well, that, exactly, bro. I'm gonna need, I'm gonna need, <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm gonna need, a, I'm gonna need everyone, bro. That's that's the thing. Like, I'm gonna need, I'm gonna need every everyone, and it's so powerful. Yeah. Like everything around us, Marrow, is is a thought. You know, like it was someone's thought in their head, and then they have yeah. to manifest it into into existence. You know, the mic you're speaking into now, someone thought of that idea, and then 
you know, through their desire and their obsession and how hard they work, they put, they manifested it into existence. So it's like, for me, it's like, I've got this idea and I've had it for ages and, you know, surrounded myself with the right people and just worked every day, more or less, it, throughout these eight to 10 weeks or however long we've been in it to try and manifest it. So when, when things do start going again, like we know, Mara, when rugby starts back up again, it's going to be relentless. We're not going to have this time yeah. ever again in our career. So it's like, okay, let's, let's try and make the most of this. Let's, 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 let's turn a negative into a positive, you know, and, and upskill myself on the business side of it. Let's, let me try and be kind of my own boss and help people around in, in the community where I'm from and, um, and do something positive, really, you know. That's, that's yeah. just what I've been focusing on, bro. On a slight on a slight change of topic, um, yeah. I don't know if many people know this about you, but like, is this <laughs> not really your your current? I want to say this is current Carl Sinclair. This I'll probably say this is Carl Sinclair from maybe about five five years ago. Oh God! <laughs> <laughs> oh God! Um, so you're a man who's like. Like people who know you know that you're a bit of a joker, that you're a bit of a funny man from time to time. Yeah. You have your moments, and yeah. like you have a career, like a previous career that like the, the streets know you for, like your influence. <laughs> no, um, no. That is prank funny guy. Oh, yeah, good point. Yeah, so could you <laughs> give us some of the insights into some of your best prank calls and who and oh, who they were? How long we got? How long have we got? We've <laughs> got all the time you need, bro. bro. I used to love it. I used to love it. And it, it got to a point where, oh, there's been so many. There's been so many. I remember there's, um, <laughs> there's just been so many incidents as I was growing up. It's like, I just, I just love being loved by people, you know? So it's like when you're that young kid and you kind of want to impress the older guys at the club, you know, your Jordan Turner Halls, your Danny Cares, your Mike Browns, Ugo's, Nick Easter's. And that's how I did it was through my prank calls. Um, so um, there were so many. I remember one time I called um, Chris Ashton. I said um, I was at, was it Alex Shaw, the, the coach at Surrey, the skills yeah, coach? Sure. Joe Shaw. Joe Shaw. Yeah, I said it was um, Shawzy. Um, just looking through your clips now, mate. Unacceptable. I need you in the office. It's um, at six o'clock in the morning tomorrow. It's absolute <laughs> bollocks. Like, you know, it's this terrible. Um, I'm speaking to Mark um, this evening. You're not playing this weekend. And, you know, Ashley, like, he would have been like, mate, what the hell are you on about? Like, proper lost his head. Um, and, like, I just kept calling him, pretending to be, like, different people. He, the funny thing with Ashley, like, me and him get on really, really well. But at the time, I'd never met Chris Ashton. I've never even <laughs> met him. And I, I just, I can't remember who gave me his number. I think it was like Danny Kerr or one of those lads who played with the injured and they just kept egging me on to prank call him. So I just prank called him all the time. And then his perception of me was like, this guy's a prick, really. Like, he's <laughs> harassing me. He's always calling me, prank calling me. Um, there was a few. There was one where I think one of the funniest ones was um, I, um, I set up a, a like a like a Twitter account of... Um, a lot of work Redmond. has got into it. A lot of work. Yeah. <laughs> I set up a Twitter account of Nigel Redmond, um, who at the time, you know, an unbelievable player in his time, played for England and, and the 1997 Lions. And he was like, I can't remember his role in the RFU, um, but he was like kind of overseeing everything. Um, and 
I was just listening in on a conversation and I can't remember, you know, the, the, the Ugos and the George Robsons, like the, the real top, top dogs of the club were talking about him and saying about his role and what he had to do with England. I think it just got announced. So I just was sitting there and I was like, okay. So I set up kind of like a, a fake kind of Twitter or email. I can't remember which one it was. And I emailed or direct messaged like Ugo being like, hi, um, hi, um, it's Big Nige here. Um, just looking through your clips. Um, um, your high ball stuff is terrible. Um, your defensive line work is not good enough. I'll be in the club next week to have a chat with you. And then um, George Robson, who who is like, who got the most out of his career. If you're looking at someone who's on paper wasn't kind of the biggest guy for a second row, but the way he conducted the line out, you know how hard he worked. He was a top nose. Um, he got the most out of his out of his talent, you know. And he one thing that he always got told was that he wasn't tall enough. I think he was like six four, six five for a second row and I messaged him pretending to be obviously um, Nigel Redmond and I was saying you know George coming into the club next week um, line out stuff's not good enough um, you look like you've shrunk or something like that along those lines um, I'm coming in to give you a pasting and I just left it as that they didn't reply I totally kind of forgot about it and a few days later we're all eating um, um, food after training and they're like bloody this effing Nigel Redmond, who does he think he is messaging me? Like, Ugo's like, bro, he wasn't even a winger. What does he know about, like, winger's positioning and this sort of stuff? And then George Robson's, like, literally bricking it because Nigel Redmond's played for England and the Lions the second row. And he's like, oh, my God, I can't believe what, what's he seen, blah, 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 blah. And I'm just there, like, trying not to laugh. Oh, my God. Um, yeah, we yeah. had some good times, man. We had some good times. I used to... Yeah, I used to do that a lot back in my day, back in, back in the day, man. <laughs> we'll bring it back next camp soon. <laughs> um, all right, so now I want to ask you a question. I'm going to ask you, I want to name a series of characteristics. Um, I, want, I want you to tell me who you think the best individual is at that. Do you get it? So yeah, we'll could, just give it a go, yeah. Yeah, so the best teammate. For me personally? For you personally. Um, for me, it'd probably be a guy who, who was at Quinns with me a long time, a guy called Dave Ward. Um, he helped me out a lot. We're, very, we're still very close to this day, but he would kind of put himself, put my career ahead of his. Obviously, he was a lot older than me. Um, he would help me out with little things around the house and sorting builders out and, you know, taking me to... to places he got me initially into my coaching I used to coach with Wardy twice a week for Guildford we we earned like two or three promotions won the Surrey Cup um but yeah he was probably um probably the best best teammate I've had in terms of how selfless he was and, is, is and how he helped me is that something you're interested in um I, I really enjoy it I really I do really enjoy coaching um what type of coach you're gonna be like uh, no, this quiet, silent one. Are you going to be the one that's like effing and ring and all that kind yeah, of stuff? I, I think that's a bit outdated now, you know, the coach who's always shouting and showing his emotions. I don't think you would get the best out of your players. So I think you've got to pick and choose your moments. But I do, Mara, I do really, really enjoy coaching. Like, I love, you know, putting my ideas into place and watching them, you know, how they how they pan out on the, on, yeah, exactly, on the field and, yeah, I don't. I don't know. I don't know. We could, well, you know, we'll watch this we'll see. We'll see. Exactly. Uh, exactly. The best. The best player. <laughs> Bro, that's such a hard one, isn't it? Like, think about all the players that we've played against or played with, 
Um, I, I think it's just hard to to put it down to one player, really, if I'm being honest. I can give you a few names if you want. Uh, yeah, go on. Fling a few out there. Um, on his day, Nick Evans, unbelievable player. Um, someone that I um, I really looked up to as a kid um, growing up and at Queens was someone like Jordan Turner Hall. Um, he was well, he, he was a battering ram, you know. He on his day, he he, he was strong man, strong first phase ball carry, very similar to like a Ben Teo. Um, obviously, you've got your Owen Farrells, who's just Mister Consistence, eight out of ten every game. You know the commitment he shows and how he leads the team, unbelievable. Johnny Sexton, Forty, uh, Connor Murray, Danny yeah. Kerr, yeah. Ben Youngs, um, yourself. Uh, Alwyn Jones. Waiting for that. Um, anyway, can we vote now? You said me. Yeah, do you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> do you know what I mean? Um, it's hard. It's hard. The best, the best leader that you've witnessed. I think a leader, as you know, um, the the best way to lead is through your actions, and it's all it's all great, you know, giving the speech and rearing the boys up and getting them getting them revved up, but. Obviously, if you don't back it up on the field, then, you know, those words don't mean much. I'll say, I'll give you a few again. Um, someone I really like to when he leads is someone like Billy. I like when Billy Vinopola takes yeah, charge. Um, he, 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 I don't know, when he speaks, I can just resonate with his words. And I've known Billy since we were like 15, you know, and when I he remember. he speaks, you know, he means it. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, Billy just, like I remember a game we played in South Africa under 18. Billy played, and in the first minute or five minutes, he broke his ankle, and he just didn't come off the field. He said no, and he played the whole game with a broken ankle and was mad at the match, and then was out for like six months. And it's just like the guy's a freak, but he actually he actually loves it, you know. And then like what you're about, looking at what about the biggest or the best inspiration? Your biggest uh, inspiration. I can put to one moment, you know, before that, um, two moments probably, you know, I don't know if it's the accent or not, but you're looking at when, before we played the first test um, against New Zealand for the Lions. I remember Peter Omani's speech and I think they'd lost Axel Foley that year. And, you know, I think he was talking about, you know, the white to your eyes and stuff like that. And I was just like, I was like, ready to go. Like, I was like, this is crazy. Yeah, I was like, so pumped to play. Um, and yeah, you know, Pete's speech was good. I remember Rory Best when he addressed us as forward. Rory, Rory's awesome. Yeah, Rory, Rory's a great captain. Rory's a great captain and a great bloke. Um, he captained me in the Highlanders game and in the I think the first game against the Barbarians and just just having him as my hooker just helped me out so much, you know, having just having him literally by my side and, and he was literally coaching me through the games. I remember the Highlanders game, I made like a long a, a line break and I was absolutely knackered off and knackered and he was talking to me. And he was like, Was that after the with... was that after the quick tap? No, no, no. The Highlanders <laughs> game. The Highlanders <laughs> game was like bigger hit me on like a Ten, and I went through, and then I passed the ball to Jared, and, and I, well, it was a rubbish pass, and he dropped it, um, and I was laying on the floor, and like Bestie was like, "Look, get up if you want to be the kind of be seen as the best. It doesn't matter about that break; it's about this scrum now, you know." And I was like, "Whoa, like you're right, kind of thing, you know. It's not about the 
great. It's, it's great that you did that carry, but your bread and butter is your scrummaging. Um, so, you know, just having him as from a leadership standpoint next yeah. to me. And then obviously the main, you know, another guy that we, we work very closely with is Owen. You know, Owen, in a way, he, he just leads. He leads for his actions. He's, he's committed. Um, he just wants to win, bro. Like, he's yeah. just... He literally just wants to win. Like, he just wants to win, like, so bad and will do anything to win. And I think he, he, he's been a good captain along with Dylan when he was, he was captain as well. I think it's very hard to, to point out kind of one individual. I would say it's, easy, it's hard to just say, oh, he's definitely the best one. But we're yeah, both, we're both very lucky to, to actually experience those, those leaders and then kind of, take little bits from each of them and then make it into our own, you know, and, 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 that, and I think that's what it's about, is just kind of taking bits from each other, each players that we've, we've come across and kind of making it our own along with our own philosophy, you know, so we're very lucky. Been a bit of distance past since, since the World Cup. Yeah. Um, I think lockdown, for me personally, lockdown was the first time since... I was able to watch the World Cup final. Oh, um, I haven't watched it. I haven't watched it. I um, <laughs> it was and it was it was a tough watch to be honest. It was it wasn't, yeah. it wasn't too pretty. Uh, yeah. How do you reflect on the whole? Not necessarily <laughs> the final, but how do you, yeah. how do you reflect on the experience, Japan, and all of that kind of stuff? I loved it, bro. Like, I really, really enjoyed it. Um, I didn't enjoy the, the pre-season. Jesus Christ, that was <laughs> some of that the hardest tough. training. That was easy. That, yeah, yeah. I've that never... easy. But it, the, the, the master of Eddie is how he pushes you and you just take it to a new level, you know? I, I, never, I never knew I could get to that level, you know? Um, but he pushes you so hard to, to, to get to that level. And, and then by doing that, you just create that extra kind of layer of toughness. Yeah. Um, obviously that uh, fitness um, from a physical standpoint but from a from a mental standpoint you're just so mentally tough because what you've gone yeah. through in the training is nowhere near as hard as you know the, that training is so hard that the games you can't wait to get to the games if you see what I'm saying like the games just, the games, just the games are a rest <laughs> yeah yeah the games are rest you know um, so from a mental like from a from a mental side of it like I think we just those sessions kind of brought us together, you know, and how tough it made us. And like, there was times, remember the first, my first one I did where the whole team came and like, had to carry me before. How like, about, I was in your team, I remember. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was in your team. I, I was suffering walk. because of you. Yeah, it was, it was my, my it, it, genuinely, I, um, I think my soul, my soul left my body. Then. <laughs> and that was the start of training. Training that wasn't even start. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just like, but, when you see like your, your teammates coming and helping and that, like, I remember Willie Hines coming and helping me. And at the time I didn't know him very well, but for me, that started a great relationship between me and Willie, Willie. Um, very similar, very similar characters and similar beliefs, you know? Um, and it comes through like that hard training sessions. And then it's just, you know, the, the, the concept of time and it, there is just, it is literally kind of like an illusion because you just so focused on, getting better every day, every day, you know, pursuing the goal of winning a World Cup. By the time you blink, we're on the plane to yeah. Japan. Yeah. And then two weeks later, we're in a World Cup quarterfinal, then in a, in a semifinal and in a final. And you're just like, whoa, where's the past like four or five months or however long it's been just gone? And then 
the toughest thing for me was like, okay, we played the World Cup final, wasn't great from a personal point of view and as a team point of view because I got knocked out in like a minute. Yeah, sorry. And... That was, that was... <laughs> <laughs> I've actually apologised for that, sorry. Bro. <laughs> it's all good, bro. It's like one minute we're in Tokyo playing the World Cup final and then Monday afternoon I'm in a cab coming back to my house in Guildford and I'm like, what has just happened? I've just spent how many months with my, my brothers, you know, I love them and then, you know, we've, we've just gone through this incredible journey and then now you know, we've just, we're, we, we've all had to go our separate ways. And you know, just the, the nature of sport, Maro, like the team's never going to be the same again, you know, like obviously yeah. changes happen, you know, selection, coaches move on and, you know, staff members move on. And like, even someone like a Warwick, you know, who was a um, S&C um, guy for England, for anyone listening, he, he was like the one of the S&C coaches who I have built a very strong relationship with over the past three or four years. That's because you've like worked him hard for the last three or four years. Yeah, yeah. But he was committed. He, 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 was, he, was, he, was, he, was, he was committed, you know. He lived in Tootin. I'm from Tootin. I looked after him. Um, whatever he needed, he didn't, he, didn't, he didn't want for nothing. But in return, in return, he would, he would you know, he would come and, come and see me for these extra sessions. He would meet me at six o'clock in the morning and, and do um, a stretching session or do a running session or a weight session and, and whatever, you know, he'd meet me in, in Weybridge at a gym and, and take me for a boxing session. You know, he was so, again, you know, selfless and understood how important players, the players were. So, yeah, what, what would you say your major takeaways are? Um, I think one of the, obviously, the, the, one of the major takeaways is how far we could push ourselves. You know, we kind of took ourselves to a next level that we didn't even knew kind of exist from a physical standpoint. Um, that was crazy because I, you know, we thought at the time and coming into the World Cup camp, you know, the pre-season camp that we're all, you know, got to a great position in terms of how we were physically. Um, we'd just come off a, a reasonably successful Six Nations, even though we didn't win it. But, you know, so be it, we were, we were you know, head trending in the right direction. And then he kind of just, flipped it on its head and we, we just <laughs> took it to a new level. You yeah. know? I, I, and I, I, you, from that experience, you always, you always know there's more. Do, do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, like, you should never I be satisfied. Like, personally, like being a part of the England team, the England setup, I find it so exciting because yeah, I, know, I know there's just so much more. We obviously have a great, obviously have great players, but we also have, like with Eddie and his support staff, have a great yeah. like coaching team who are like yeah. extremely dedicated. So yeah. for me, it's just it's just exciting. Like you know, um, I get excited playing with the likes of yourself and yeah. other, other members. Fun, um, <laughs> no, it's good fun. And like another thing we realized, well, we I didn't realize until we came back was how is the power of sport, bro. Like how the country kind of all got behind us and even crazy, though we didn't yeah. and you know it was just like people were going in the pubs I remember people showing me the videos of everyone kind of piling in the pubs at seven in the morning and everything was geared towards the rugby and as, as, as you know we got more and more successful throughout the tournament all kind of eyes were on us and it was just like how powerful sport is yeah and then Don't worry, bro. 2023 we got this 2023 <laughs> exactly. we got this exactly but it comes with a responsibility, doesn't it? You know, yeah, when you've got cool. all eyes on you and all the kids looking up to you, um, 
you know, it does, there is a massive responsibility on your shoulders. So then you have to kind of check yourself. And that's something that I'm always working on is kind of checking myself and being like, okay, cool. You know, it doesn't matter how you're kind of feeling or what your ego is telling you. You know, you've got a responsibility to, you know, lead by example and be a good, a good kind of person. So um, you just have to understand the responsibility that comes with it and the power of sport, man. It's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, just a little bit on the coronavirus. Obviously, the coronavirus has like shaken up the whole world. Yeah. To the nth degree, is um, I really don't think anything has had such an impact since World War Two. Really, um, yeah, it's been, it's been a bit mad. Um, but in, in your personal situation, like, how has the, the ramifications of the coronavirus affected you? Uh, for me, I'm I'm a big one on kind of creating my own reality. So for me personally, I'm not really very big on social media. I don't. I don't venture into that world much. Um, I kind of like to spend time with myself anyway and my family. Um, so it, it, was, it wasn't it was too bad. I, I think the main thing that kind of stood out for me and one thing that I've kind of been addressing from us, from myself is the the topic of greed, bro. So like you're looking at the situation we were in and when people were told that we were coming into lockdown for, I don't know, a week or two weeks in advance, like how greedy we are as people. Like yeah. you go into a supermarket and people are taking like 50 rolls of toilet paper when they only need two or three. And then it's like, they don't understand the knock-on effect. Self-preservation, has, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. That, that knock-on effect that that has on the next person because if i'm looking if, if you know if i'm just a, a normal person in, in, in the supermarket and i see you take 50 then i've got to take 50 also because you know i think i might not get any and then it's just a knock-on effect and then you know okay you've got 50 rolls of toilet paper and 20 cans of beans but then other people you've got 20 but i've got you know the person down the road's got none and it's yeah. like it comes down to what do you actually need and that's something that i'm kind of addressing you know am i a greedy person um what do you actually need as a as as a as a human being? You need obviously a house, you need shelter, you need food, um, and you need clothes. Really, do, do you know what I mean? Like, what do you like really need? And it was a big test for me being amongst that chaos and seeing, you know, how people were reacting and what they were doing. You know, like like you said, self preservation and kind of trying to to not be in amongst that and. Um, and, you know, kind of not do the similar things they were doing. If I only need two rolls of toilet paper or a loaf of bread, as opposed to three loaves of bread and 10 toilet rolls, then it's kind of hard to, to not do that. And then also with, with kind of the pay cut situation with, with players, um, you know, success for us has always been kind of determined as you're growing up, you know, your success is determined by the wealth you have, you know, the money you have in the bank. But we're in a situation now where, you know our wages are getting cut and um money's getting taken away from us so then where does that leave us if you it, it's kind of stripped back everything that we've always kind of believed in in terms of of, of tangible stuff and it's, it's kind of it's literally like we've been kind of sent back to our rooms you know and given us this time to reflect and yeah. i've just I, tried to make the most I, of it and, I, and reflect I, I, I on found, my life i found the whole experience very very humbling like, yeah exactly yeah 100 percent it's um is for me is 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 
it's showing me like a, a much greater appreciation of like the simple things like things from day to day that we take for granted like seeing your parents like yeah on, exactly. on my dad's 60th birthday <laughs> in april yeah i we, we literally couldn't see them we, yeah. we waved outside outside the window um yeah so like simple things like that and i think i think coronavirus has shaken up this society and our, our lives forever i think yeah. there will be uh, irrevo- an, uh, irrevocable change um since after after this is after we finally get through this but i think we will get through it it will be t- it'll yeah, take 100%, 100%. But, um, it's especially the rugby scene um it's shaken up rugby to yeah but uh, we could it, it, it could hopefully you know address the issues that um, needed to be addressed because we've got the time on our hands and then when we do come back you know it's a, it, it's something that's new it's something that's fresh and and it can make the sport sustainable so I, I always try to to look what, at the turn turn the negatives to a positive you know and hopefully things can things can change how has this affected your move to Bristol if at all um yeah it's been it's been a bit tricky really um because Obviously, I'm, I'm, my contract ends at the end of June and on the 1st of July, I'm a Bristol player. And there's obviously with the uncertainty of what's going to happen with the Premiership, a, a situation could arise where I could be one week playing a game for Harlequins and then the next week playing a game for Bristol, um, which, you know, would be difficult, especially from a logistical point of view. But like life, life is all about kind of problem solving and putting the right things in place. Um, I've kind of packed up the house and I'm ready to go whenever, um, whenever, whenever I can. Um, and by, at the same time, you know, keeping on top of my body and, and being professional. And, and if I'm called back into Harlequins, then giving my all to Harlequins. Um, because as it stands, I'm a Harlequins player. Um, how do but you, yeah, it's just... How do, you yeah, reflect, on, how do you reflect on your Harlequins experience? Do you look at it positively or do you look at it, it could have been better? Do you look at it just grateful for for the opportunity how do you like look back at that stage of your life um like like we've all had a massive time to kind of contemplate and reflect um in this time and um i'm very very grateful to harlequins because they you know kind of took a chance on me when i was 12 or 13 well colin kind of osborne just just kind of plucked me out of nowhere and i was in they didn't really have an academy at the time. I was like 13 playing against like 16, 17, 18 year olds because their academy only started from 16. Um, but he kind of took me on board. Um, the relationships that I've developed with, you know, Colin, uh, Tony Diprose, um, Mark Mapletop, Connor O'Shea, John Kingston, um, Graham Roundtree, um, Adam Jones, you know, just everyone really like yeah. it, 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 it. As you kind of get older, you understand the that things don't last forever in sport you know there's there's a certain period of time where you've got to kind of make the most of it and and for me it was when we were I think 2011 to probably 2015-16 where we had a great team not that we obviously don't have now but you know we had some real real firepower um as a squad and what year was that uh, just between those four years, like 2012 to like 2015, 16. And we like went to like a Challenge Cup final uh, or no semi-final, played you boys in the Premiership semi-final. We're, we're kind of in and, in and out of the top four. Um, 
and as, as you know, as, as, as you know, how ruthless sport is, you know, guys retire through injury, you, you guys don't get re-signed, and the squad kind of looks different year on year. Conor O'Shea left, um, John Kingston um, sadly left as well. They were obviously true Harlequins, um, Harlequins um, players through and through, and it's just it's just a shame really because we were you know at, at that time I felt you know we could have really you know built something to look yeah built something because obviously they won the premiership I wasn't I wasn't kind of involved in that that was kind of my first year in in the academy or second year um but on reflection I'm just so grateful to be to be at such an illustrious club um and to have played 147 um, games <laughs> for four quins you know and it would be a shame yeah. if I didn't get to to 150, that's me probably looking at it from a selfish point of view, you know, look, you know, riding out on a 150 and playing your last home game in front of the fans. But, you know, if it's meant to be, it's meant to be. But looking back on it, very, very grateful when they've they've stuck through, you know, with me through thick and thin. You know, as you know, I'm not the, the easiest kind of character to, <laughs> to, to deal with. And there's been, you know, pe- situations that people wouldn't even know about, you know, that that's happened at Harlequins and Connor's had my back and John Kingston looked after me, Graham Roundtree, Tony Tiprose, you know, some of the stuff that's happened, you know, just from the academy to, 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 to you know, my early 20s where they could have easily just, you know, got rid of me. Like they, there's definitely breaches of contracts, but they just kind of stuck with me and, and just, and, and, and believed in me, you know, so I'm very, very grateful. Very grateful. Last, lastly, um, uh, <laughs> What are your reflections? I know you've been watching it. What are your reflections on the Michael Jordan documentary, The Last Dance? Bro, like, love it, love which, it. I've watched it. I've I've watched it so much. Like I would watch when the episodes come out on the Monday. You know what I'm like. Yeah. I've watched them, and then when I'm training in the gym, I'd put it on, and just I, which, I love, I out, love it. I, out of the Chicago Bulls, which uh, character do you think was more most similar to you? <laughs> you know, I'm not even gonna answer that question because you've asked that question and you know who you. I know who you think I resemble. I'm not even gonna say it because my hair. I don't have blonde hair. I don't have any piercings. I might have tattoos just like like him, but we're totally. Gonna you both like right? Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> you both get lost in Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> nah, but it's. Is awesome. it's, it's great to, to have an insight and and I'm always wanting you know to, to look at other sports and you know other businesses and vent, walks of life and see okay what did they do to be successful and recent episodes that we that came out episode seven and eight just you know for me some Jordan up like he you know he's make his is you know an extremely good amount of money in making you know Space Jam, which is an iconic movie. Everyone's watched Space Jam, but at the same time, he 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 understands his you know the main thing is basketball. You know yeah. if he's just shooting this movie for the whole of the off season and doesn't keep up with his training, then you know there's not going to be another movie to be made because his basketball is going to go down. And that's what especially youngsters who are coming up in in sport have to understand is. It's all good about don't stop don't worry about the Instagram followers and the commercials and the sponsorship deals like stop worrying about that sort of stuff. The main thing is is your craft, whether it be rugby, football, athletics, or whatever. If you're successful in your chosen sport, 
then everything else will follow. You'll get the boot deal, you'll get the sponsorship, you'll get the commercials, you'll get all the money outside of it because you have the value. And Michael Jordan understood that. And, you know, I think it summed it up when Reggie Miller was like, he's a vampire. Like, I didn't get how he would be up at six doing his stuff, training in between the two hours break, filming again and then playing pickup games for three hours and then training after that. It's just like his work rate was unrivaled. And then it, then for me, when I'm looking at it, it's like, okay, what can I do now? Like if it's, you know, if Michael Jordan's training like that and, and he's doing all of these things and he's so busy and he's managing to train however many times a day, like do I need to train more or is it more about training smart than, than you know, just working hard like, yeah. relentlessly? And it, but, but it's a good question to ask yourself and it's just good to, that I just love the way they've just produced it and the feeling you have, like every time I watch it, I just feel motivated and I learn new things, even though I'm rewatching episodes and the, the little things he, he does and, and why he was so successful because he was obsessed. He was literally obsessed about his craft, yeah. which was basketball. He's, he was obsessed. Yeah. Like the craft is always the most important thing. Exactly, bro. Yeah. Is that, that's, that's the only thing that matters. Everything else will, will is, come with it. Will yeah. come with it, you know? The craft is always, is always the goal. And that's the, and that's the same whether it's like I, I feel that's the same whether it's not only just sport yeah of course yeah business, whether anything it's music, business like anything, I think a lot, yeah. a lot of people get lost in the source you know Can't yeah get exactly the they source. get yeah exactly that they get is, that source it's, is sweet it's, but it's sweet bro but exactly exactly bro exactly focus on your craft man and everything else like like he, he did there, you know, he was successful in the basketball court and then he got the boot deal, well, the sneaker deal or whatever with Jordan. That that mirrored his success on the field, on, on the court because he was so successful. Everyone wanted to buy the shoe. Then he got more commercials and it, all everything just took care of itself, you know. Um, but like you said, it's all got a price. Like winning's got a price. Um, being a leader, you know, has a price and he did it his way. It doesn't mean it was the right or wrong way. It's just his way and... It was successful. He won uh, six championships and is is the greatest of all time, in my opinion, anyway. Took care of business on and off the field. Yeah. Thank you so much, bro. I appreciate you. No, thanks for having me, Mara, man. It was good. I enjoyed this. I enjoyed this, man. We'll definitely link up soon when this coronavirus is all over. Definitely, bro. Glad to be of service.